Happy 4th of July, Young Living family. 30 years ago, before any of what you see around here was possible, Gary Young was on a farm in Idaho. He welded his own distiller and planted his own lavender. This summer, we're going to gather again where he stood for a special event at the first of what would become many Young Living Farms. Hello and welcome to Young Living's podcast, The Wild Drop. My name is Jacob Young, your host. Young Living is a world leader in producing and distributing premium essential oils. And this podcast will provide you with drops of information about Young Living, including stories, history, product information, lots of little fun facts, and even more. International Essential Oil Day is just around the corner. And here at Young Living, we're the only ones that actually promote and celebrate International Essential Oil Day. And we actually have the plaque that shows that we have made it an official holiday, I guess, so to speak. And so with us today in studio is Brett Packer to share some more on that. Brett, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, I mean, this, this is a special day and something I love. One of my favorite things to do, you know, as the director over the farms is to bring people to the St. Mary's farm. I mean, it's just a, such a powerful thing to authenticate your dad's work starting, the magic formula he put together uh, way up a dirt road in the middle of nowhere, knowing at one point that's <laughs> all Young Living was, you know. Yeah. Your dad, Gary, you know, um, what he developed there. And so to actually celebrate that 30-year anniversary on Essential Oil Day, which is his birthday, is just going to be a powerful thing. The registration's open. We want as many people as possible. And we're... You know, we want to be proud of who we are, but there's times we want to celebrate it too. Yes, of course. And the 30th anniversary is at the first farm, the original farm, which is in St. Mary's, Idaho, on this weird piece of land out in the middle of nowhere, kind of out. Uh, you have to go down these long logging roads. It's yeah. kind of a pretty drive, actually. It's just very long and very windy. But once you get there, you're like, wow, it's all the way out here. You just don't expect it. Yeah. And I mean, for people to know too, to make that journey and think about Gary's journey. And I mean, there was times I know that he was down to his last dime and just believed in himself and kept on developing this thing that's, you know, changed the world. And I'd say, you know, think about that and apply it to your own life, your own dreams. You know, if Gary would have focused on all the people who are saying, what are you, what are you doing up this, the, you know, up this road cooking herbs? Like what, what, you know, and people really, doubted him in ways and i mean he never let it phase him and i mean no. and here we are right here we are many years later yeah so with international central oil day what are we going to be doing on this 30th anniversary so we're going to have the original distillery running and we'll be harvesting now you have to understand these these herbs are very sensitive to what kind of weather we're having that the moisture content, the heat. So we can't promise you what we'll be harvesting because we have to harvest what's actually yeah. ready and you know how specific that is, that the compounds have to be right. And so I promise you, though, the distillery will be running. And um, you'll, it, it's really powerful because you, know, you talk about the seed to seal standards in agriculture, but also in the distillery. And, um, you know, we could go on and on, but, you know, you can see that, you know, Gary always had food-grade stainless steel, every component in the distillery, right? And that his original distillery followed those standards. You can see his original GC and his original results from the gas chromatographer there. And so it's just, I don't think anybody else in the world that was a, the pioneer of an industry like this could authenticate that and just beyond a shadow of a doubt, you could actually experience it, right? Yeah. There's a lot of people that have tried to replicate what my dad's created, yeah. and 
hasn't worked for them uh, because you just can't replicate what my dad created. And then is there a specific reason behind the food grade stainless steel? You know, that, I love talking about this and I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of times when I, I, I spend a lot of time, my time in the distillery, right? So when you know, I do these distillery tours and to me, that's truly my favorite part of the farms because without the distillation, you wouldn't transform these compounds we find in these trees and herbs into a, a liquid gold that we use for our, for our benefit, right? And so, you know, Gary's who trained me how to distill and it started in Ecuador, then St. Mary's. But, um, you know, I, we go through the standards and we always say, you know, food grade stainless steel, anything the oil touches, whether it's in a raw material form, a vapor form, or when it, you know, gets condensed back into liquid will only ever touch a food grade stainless steel yeah. glass, right? And I say, that's great, everyone. So why is that so important? And usually people are like, yeah, it's good, you know? And it's like, <laughs> well, and I love telling them this and say, do you know that like the stain, the molecular structure of stainless steel is actually a crystalline? And it's a, it's a polymer, right? A polymer is a molecule that repeats, repeats, repeats. Mm -hmm. But it's really amazing if you look at uh, under these um, lighting images, it looks like a hexagram that just repeats. Yeah. But it has a, a percent of chromium in it that actually bonds with oxygen. And so there's a chromium oxide bond, and that's part of why it doesn't rust and doesn't tarnish. It has a high enough percent of nickel of it, too, that it's completely neutral, right? And so it's just, it's beautiful. It won't leach into your product, and it's literally, you know, it's not literally a crystal, but the molecular structure is crystalline, right? Yeah. And so you ma match that kind of purity with the purest steam in earth, and that's something Gary, you know, people thought he was maybe... How should I say it? But um, for not cool. putting chemicals in his steam, right? And we found out how to do that, that we have a complete chemical-free steam. Most boilers have a, just a, a litany of different chemical treatments in yeah. it. Gary, and so you have the purest stainless steel mixed with steam, and steam sterilizes everything it touches, too. And so, anyway, I could, I could go on and on. but No, you're fine. I was just going to get to the point a lot of people ask, well, how do you clean the cookers? After each distillation, so there's no cross-contamination, and you explain it perfectly, is the steam is yep. a natural sterilizer. Yep. And so we don't have to really do any cleaning. What we usually do is we do a distillation with nothing on the inside. We just add pressure. We add the steam. We let it run through, what, five hours round about, something well, close to it? Well, until no residuals will come off. And we've had to train all our staff how to do it. And you can't actually let, um, you know, our brand partners in the distillery when you do this because they, they think that something was wrong. Yeah. But you, you actually turn the steam up to a pressure you would never expose, you know, raw material with essential oils to. Yeah. But, you know, the a distillery, too, how a lot of it works is, you know, laws of thermodynamics, heat, you know, surface area and energy or heat transferring, right? So if you calculated the surface area through the extraction chamber, the condenser, and the separator, it's vast. It's and so huge. sometimes it will take over eight hours. But I, I love that question, too, though, because I've, I, there's zero chemicals ever exposed to that surface area. Just yeah. steam that's completely sterile and chemical-free steam. A lot of the calculations, the condenser alone has over 1,000 square feet of heat exchange surface. And so we got to take steam roughly like 270 to 280 degrees Fahrenheit and run it for eight hours. But we've, and then, you know, we, every farm has a lab too, and the next mm -hmm. distillation will be tested. And we've never had cross-contamination when things are done right. So there's so much going on during this 30th anniversary. Obviously there's distillation, which we just talked about, which can go, we can go into a massive rabbit hole on distillation. Distillation is different for almost every single plant with yeah. the pressure, the timing, the heat, all that other stuff. But what else can people expect to see or experience when they come to the 
30th anniversary. Um, so, I mean, the agenda is really exciting. Like we, we were covering the distillation and that's, again, that's a rabbit hole. It's just, um, it's a paradox because you can explain it simple enough a child can understand it. Yeah. Or you could dwell on different aspects of it for the rest of your life. And that's where I've been, right? Um, but, you know, we really want to showcase the history there, the legacy there. There's, and so, you know, we have, we have a band that's going to play at the end. We have caterers. Mary Young's going to speak. We mm-hmm. have different guest speakers. But we'll be doing workshops across the farm talking about the lavender that Gary developed there. It's, a, to me, the most beautiful lavender in the world. It's acclimated there for the last 30 years. And so it's what you call a phenotype or a, a chemovar. It takes on the characteristics of that soil, that elevation, that latitude. Completely unique, especially if you were to run it in the GC and compare mm-hmm. it against France or Mona, right? And so we want to we share that. But we really want to highlight just with the convention this year, the Roots to Wings. The thing I love about Young Living is its humble origins, right? I mean, and so you can see Gary's um, different permutations of the distillery he put together, his first, his second. There's actually a lodge there that everyone will be invited in, and there's tons of old photos. Yeah. And it shows Gary, like, doing everything. Like, he called it the one-man band, right? Yeah. And so he's working with his Uncle Jack, you know, unloading his only extraction chamber and um, experimenting with different herbs. I mean, the amount of um, research and development that Gary did to figure this all out, like, none of us will ever truly know. Yeah. Right? And and it's so funny that you're talking about the old photos because we have one of those old photos of him up at St. Mary's downstairs in the museum where he took four stainless steel, just big pots and welded them together. And that was the original cooker. And his welding wasn't perfect at the time. And you can kind of see that with his TIG welds and stuff. But it's just really entertaining and fun to see that. And then you talk about the cabin. The cabin was just rebuilt. And then you're going to see so much history on this farm. You're going to see the very first swather design that my dad actually built with the belt feeder and then the carrier in the back and it's amazing to see we had numerous people reach out to my dad asking to buy the design from him because he was so far ahead of his time that there was nothing else in the world like it so you get to see that piece of history you'll get to see all the old farm equipment he'd go to the auctions and buy and stuff and it's just so fun to see all of that so So if you want to be part of history in the making, this 30th anniversary experience, if you want to see the history, go to the Young Living website, www.youngliving.com. You'll click on company. You'll then click on events, and then you'll find the St. Mary's 30th anniversary. Please get your ticket while tickets are still available. And we'll also leave a link to this in the description down below on the YouTube video. So if you're watching on Spotify or listening on Spotify or anywhere else, you'll have to come on over to the dark side of YouTube. It's not dark, I promise. It's a beautiful and wonderful place. Come check us out. Come check our pretty faces. So another thing, too, that will be highlighted on this is a, a lot of people don't know, but, you know, Gary's first farm is on tribal land, the Coeur mm-hmm. tribe. And we have different partnerships with them. In fact, we're trying to rebuild some forest for them which is, you know, a, a huge cornerstone of our farms is actually reforestation. We're literally building forests around the world and selectively harvesting. But, you know, there's, there's been a relationship there. Gary was at the grand opening of one of their um, health and wellness centers, and um, we do cultural agritourism events there, but they're going to come and actually do a ceremony with us too. Oh, that's that going to be, be awesome. part of it, you know, and that's, to me, you know, Gary always told me in seed to seal, there is no separation, right? Yeah. And I mean, we don't separate living systems in our soils. We don't separate wildlife that migrates to our farms. We build wildlife corridors and we don't separate from the communities we're part of, right? Yeah. So this is just a really neat partnership. And I've been in re- recent meetings with the tribe. We had a really, they, um, 
One is to remove a bunch of the non-native species in their forests, and we'll grow these conifers, native conifers, and replace them. So it's just, it'll be a really neat thing to see that relation, 30-year relationship, you know. That's going to be beautiful. And speaking of, you know, native plants and conifers and the wildlife, there's a super funny story of when the, my dad first originally started planting the plants there at St. Mary's. And you've probably heard this story before. So he remember he tried to plant the peppermint, and the deer would come in and eat all yep. the peppermint. But he had no idea what was coming in and eating all the peppermint. So he sat out there one night and could just hear this like munching sound. And he turned his flashlight on and you could just see hundreds of pairs of eyes in the tree line of all these deer that were just eating the peppermint. So when he realized they were eating the peppermint, that's why he actually planted the Melissa uh, because he noticed that the deer had left the Melissa alone. So he said, well, I guess I'll just plant Melissa here instead. And Melissa is one of the biggest crops that we have there on the St. Mary's farm. And that's why Melissa is mostly Melissa on that farm as well. So. And that, so that's a perfect story to highlight. I mean, Gary's values for the beginning was to work with natural systems. Yeah. Like he didn't get a, a deprivation hunting tag and no. start going after those whitetail. He figured out how he could work with nature. And I mean, that's one reason I'm so proud to be with Young Living. I mean, and it continues. I mean, your work with pollinators, our, our monarch way stations, there's a monarch way station. You'll see it a special feature of the St. Mary's Farm, a, a labyrinth that's actually up on a hill and you can go do the labyrinth walk. Yep. But I mean, it just, it's something I think more people need to be aware of. I mean, to me, the farms, you know, the pillars of them now is, you know, and it has always been too, but you know, regenerative agriculture. I mean, we're not sustainable. We're regenerating. We're, we're sequestering carbon out of the atmosphere. We're purifying water. We're purifying watersheds. We're building the microbiome in the soil and treating it like the beautiful living system it is, right? Yeah. And so you, you come to the farm, though, and you can see where that all started. You can see mm -hmm. where the ma Gary's Magic Formula, I call it, started. Yeah. So that's another really great reason to come to this event because even though all the farms are different, once you go to St. Mary's and you can see how there's this common thread through all of them, and that's one of my favorite parts of the farms. They all intertwine with each other. And I just really quickly want to point out that Brett's not saying by any means that the, the farms themselves are not sustainable. They all are. They're just past sustainability. Yeah, yeah. Is people think of sustainability in just kind of one category and just like, oh, just just that. They kind of just place it in that and it stays in that. We're so, pars we're so past sustainability, like you said, with how we're – what was the word that you were using? Sorry. So, Jacob, thank you, though, because I, I don't want – to have a misunderstanding, but when you, when you study regenerative agriculture and even just how you can, even in your life, you can always, the simplest way to say it without getting into all the technicalities is you can always give back more than you take, right? Yes. And so, I mean, it's a developing science, but you know, we practice no disc, no till regenerative agriculture. Of course it's organic on the farms, but the amount of carbon we sequester and nitrogen and goes back into the soil and feeds the microbiome. And that's, Again, that gets you could read books and books on this, and that's one of my favorite things to read about. But so when it, I, I'm not trying to say anything bad about the term sustainability, but we're not merely sustaining; we're sequestering massive amounts of carbon, and it turns the entire microbiome in the soil into this water filter. So it builds these teeny systems of tunnels with the bacteria and the funguses that the water has to slowly go through, just like we know Earth filters water, right? Yeah. But even a lot of organic agriculture too, when they disc and till, forty percent of the organic fertilizers end up in the water sheds oh, cause wow. algae blooms and, and mess with. And so it's really, again, it's so detailed to talk. I mean, we could do a whole podcast yeah. just on this alone, 
But you know, I, I, one quick example is there's a there's a fungus that makes this network called a hyphea, mm-hmm. and it goes hundreds of miles long at times. But it, it taps a root, and it, every every you know. So another thing that this system does is it gets rid of some of the problems with monocropping, because when you monocrop, that one crop's only feeding one carbon sugar. And so we put these 12 different cover crops in specific to whatever it's next to, right? But it actually takes a little carbon sugar, but it actually gives back more, you know, actual water and nutrient to that plant than it's taking. And oh, so wow. that's, and that's how I try to do everything on the farm. So, I mean, that's how I try to work for Young Living. Yeah. I hope I'm giving back more than I take in this relationship and others, right? So. Yeah. And Jason uh, Barnum, who's been on the podcast before, he talked about how we don't do artificial tilling. Uh, sometimes we'll have the sheep come down. The sheep yeah, do their own tilling and stuff. Up at our Skyrider Ranch, the buffalo do their own tilling. And it's extremely healthy for the ground with this natural tilling process that they do. It's amazing. You'll have to go back and listen to the episode with Skyrider where we talk about that natural tilling process with the bison. Uh, and the Native Americans, they would call them land tillers. Right. That was their name, was land tillers and stuff. So, And we've got, like you said, I think it's beautiful that we do these other crops on top of our main crop to help promote the health of our main crops as well. So, for example, like here in Mona, Utah, you'll notice that when you went out into our lavender field here at convention, that we actually have grass growing in between the lavender now. And that's to prevent weeds, that's to pretend any uh, prevent any plants that we don't want growing right there. And then the sheep come in and they actually mow the grass down for us, keep it nice and trimmed, keep it all healthy. And it's just this beautiful cycle, this circle of life that was always meant to be, that we're finally getting into, finally discovering, finally using its full ability to keep these crops at their healthiest form. Yeah, working with natural systems, right? Yeah. And these, whether it's the sheep or the bison, there's a term they use called mob grazing for it, right? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it helps aerate soil, it fertilizes, and it feeds the biome. And if you've ever studied the microbiome in, in in our gut health, the soils is actually really similar, or there's a lot of commonality. But what you end up doing is that the microbes, they actually have to make nutrients available for, for plants, to put it in really simple terms. And so even if you're doing organic farming and you're throwing, you know, amendments, whether it's nitrogen or some trace element, if you don't have the microbiome to break it down in a form that the plant can uptake it, you're just throwing fertilizer. And that's another yeah. key thing in our farms is, you know, efficiency, utilization, repurposing, even... A lot of our farms use the hydrosol as a non-contact cooling water to cool the steam, and it just recirculates. And we, we, you know, we take, we repurpose, we utilize, we, and we find efficiencies. Yeah, I love that we repurpose everything that we possibly can. Yeah. I mean, for example, here at Global Headquarters, you'll notice that a lot of our landscaping we've actually changed recently. Utah has been extremely dry this year, and has been for the last few years because we haven't been getting as much snow. So we've actually been removing a lot of our grass here to kind of save on water. And instead of replacing it with juniper chips from previous distillations, and it looks beautiful, it looks great, it's extremely beneficial for the soil and the plants that are growing there because they actually take on from the rest of the juniper as well. But you notice that was laid out across most of the landscaping here at Global Headquarters. And some of you pointed out and said juniper, a lot of you are asking what it was. And when they first were laying out, it smelled absolutely wonderful. It was fantastic. Yeah, that that made me so happy to see because it made me feel like I was partway on a farm, right? And you see that repurposing or that utilization. And that's, you know, what I love about Young Living is we can be so specific about what we do. It's not this ambiguous kind of um, terminology PR firms roll out. I mean, we can 
point to our conservation we're doing, whether it's the D. Gary Wildlife Refuge, what we're doing with the state of Utah for the, the breeding program mm-hmm. for bighorn sheep, pollinator habitats, habitats um, um, monarch butterfly way stations. I mean, you know, a lot of our farms, too, will put wilderness corridors next to a field. So wildlife has a place to migrate and find cover and um, take shelter from predators, right? Yeah. We um, last Earth Day this year, we, every farm had a project where we all every farm is going to have a wetland on it, right? Mm-hmm. And so we all did wetland rebuilding projects. And again, it's another thing with the, the phytoremediation that you know wetlands purify water. And yeah. so any there's a, a watershed, even a seasonal stream on our farms, we're rebuilding wetlands with native aquatic plants. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it too. So. Yeah, this is special being with you, Jacob. Thanks for having me. And I, you know, I don't know the last time you thought about this, and I, I, um, I see you, and you always give me such a warm smile, and I feel a, a connection in the heart. But it makes me think about, you know, 15 years ago, I actually lived with Jacob in the same house. Yeah, that's right. And I have these really fun memories of um, playing chess. <laughs> and we had a, we had a really cool chessboard too, since we we're in Ecuador, and it had. Incas and conquistadors, right? And the iguanas, just the yeah, horses. Yeah, the iguanas yeah. that used to jump in the swimming pool, <laughs> and I didn't know, and I would jump in and pull them out, and they'd jump back in. And, um, you know, we'd play basketball and stuff. So it's just, it's really great to just keep working together in this, um, and just my mind totally went blank. This partnership. Yeah, yeah. And, well, in this partnership, this relationship, and we're, we're keeping the work your dad started. And even he built this beautiful foundation for us, and we're honoring that and just keep on building it. Yeah. Well, Brett, thank you so much for your time. Well, I really appreciate I, it. I am going to call for a rematch in chess. Yeah, no, that's totally like the fine. Last, last time we played, I won. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. We'll have to have you come back onto the show for and another any, episode. Any time, and it'd be fun to get um, find the right way to get very specific about some of these regenerative agriculture practices yes. we do. But, but yet, you know, they're all chapters within Seed to Sill. Let me clarify that to everyone. I mean, this isn't, you know, Gary for the carbon sequestering and then, you know, nitrogen fertilizer is one of the most common use fertilizer. Our atmosphere is majority nitrogen. Yeah. And so to actually throw nitrogen, even organic nitrogen, when you can, a lot of these plants sequester nitrogen. And so there's, legumes and different um, triticales and Gary always from the very beginning had me using seed drills and drilling these, you know, carbon sequestering plants and these nitrogen fixers in our soils. And we have the picture we used at convention this year with Gary inoculating the soil Mm -hmm. with microbes and enzymes. And so it's just, it's what it's always been, but it's just as science develops and, you know, we learn more of this microbiome, it's, it's a, it's a crazy world and a whole other episode that we can totally get lost in the rabbit hole for. So Brett, thank you so much thank for you. taking the time coming on to the podcast. Don't forget to get your tickets for the 30th anniversary. The link is in the description down below. Tickets are going out really fast. We'd love to see your pretty faces there. We'd love to see you in person. Brett will be there. He'll be explaining everything that we've covered on this podcast as well. You'll get to see all the processes that we're talking about. You'll get to see everything that we've talked about on this podcast as well. So really hope to see you there. Brett, once again, thank you so much. Yeah, that'll be a special experience because I love it when people come on the farms because they can connect all the dots. Yes. And like from the soils we take care of to the actual outcome from using the oil, right? So earth to outcome, seed to sill. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a matter of connecting the dots and we'll have a, a really strong farm team there in the fields, in the lab, in the distillery, and we'll go through the whole thing in person. I can't wait. 
Awesome. It's my favorite thing, actually. So stoked. Well, thank you once again, Brett. Really appreciate it. And thank you for tuning into this episode of The Wild Drop. Remember, you can listen on iTunes, Spotify, on YouTube, and our website at www.youngliving.com. Don't forget to oil up Young Living Family. This is Jacob Young, dropping out. Take care. Take care.